All, all you can get from me is treaching, <laughs> uh, not full-blown preaching. So praise God. I think that's going to be wonderful. I know it will be. So please come and receive. Are you ready for the word? Yeah. All right, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as I give this mic over. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 14, and I'm going to read down to verse 21. Uh, I don't think I'll get there, to be honest with you, uh, but I'll attempt, and we'll see where we land. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, let's read. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet know we know him thus no longer. Uh, we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, and has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself not imputing their trespasses to them and having committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that it's already blessed. We're going to open our heart, receive it by faith, be blessed by it. Holy Spirit, again, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each one that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, I thank you that you're able to, to minister this to the, they can walk away with exactly what they need. And only you can do this miracle and believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go to verse 14, start unpacking this. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, if one died for all, then all died. The love of Christ. Let's look at the word love. It's the Greek word agape. Agape is the God kind of love. It's foreign, exotic to the natural man. And our love at best is reciprocal. We love and our love works best when other people respond to it. And if we're not loved or treated badly, then human love will cut you off, treat you bad. And everybody's nice. Sometimes I worry about people that are really syrupy. The sweeter people are to me. I know that uh, when there's more honey, there's stingers nearby. <laughs> so you got to watch out for the honey. But the love of Christ, that's not, it's unconditional. God doesn't love you because you're lovable or you love him back. He loves you and keeps loving you when you're unlovable. When you are unlovely, his love still is being poured out. And it doesn't wax, it doesn't wane, it's constantly being poured out upon you, and it's always for your highest and best. So the love of Christ compels us. Look at that word compels. You think, well, does it force me to do stuff? No, no. The Greek word means to hold together. Basically, the love of Christ holds us together. Ask someone, are you being held together? Yes, Pastor, I am by bailing wire and duct tape and spit. I'm barely holding on here. I'm about to fall apart, or I have fallen apart. Well, what's going to hold you together is the love of Christ, the love of God. You know, Paul remained in the ministry because of the love of God. 
Paul talked about the long laundry list of his light afflictions. And if we only had a few, we'd probably give up. But Paul didn't give up in the ministry. And so we're all ministers in this room. We talked about that. And so what's going to keep you from quitting on the will of God, the love of God? Keep receiving the love of God. And God's love for you and for people is going to keep you ministering to other people when they're unlovely and you want to quit. And so it says here, the love of Christ compels us or holds us together because we judge thus. We judge thus. Raise your hand if you believe the word of God is truth. Well, whether you raised your hand or not, it is. <laughs> and each one of us needs to decide and judge for ourselves, the, is the word true or not in our case? So it's easy to bob your head and say, yeah, I believe the word is truth. But are you believing, have you judged it true in your life, in the situations you're going through? By his stripes, you were healed. Are you judging that as true? But my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ. Do you judge that as truth in your situation? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, that's the truth, Pastor. That's the truth. But he delivers them from them all. Don't forget about the beautiful buts in the Bible. But God shall deliver you out of... Have you judged that true in your life? Well, here's one thing that Paul judged as truth is that if one died for all, then all died. So who's the one that died for all? Jesus. Jesus. Tell someone you're not the one. There's only one person qualified to die for all of us that was a sinless substitute. That's Jesus, the God-man. And he died for all. And so Jesus Christ came to represent God and represent man, to bring them together in covenant. So Jesus Christ is the second member of the Godhead. He is God, fully God, but he became fully man. So he can lay his hand on God, lay his hand on humanity and bring them together. And so we saw that one person, only one unique human being of all time has been able to say that and do that. And it says one died for how many? All. Why do I say that? Because if you get out of this bubble... Any length of time, get five miles out of town, you're going to run into a teaching called Calvinism. And it's spread through most of the body of Christ, and it's on the ultra-sovereignty of God, which means God is in control of everything. He's in control of all people, and He's in control of you, and everything about you, God's in control of. Well, He's not doing a very good job. If God was in control of us, then we would have made our bed this morning. Jesus makes His bed. Folded his napkin at the resurrection, put it outside. No, no, Calvinism is based on the ultra sovereignty of God and says it's God's will to save some and send other people to hell. It's his fiat, it's his decision, it's whatever I want to do, and I chose to save some, and all the rest can go to hell. Well, uh, is that biblical? Because they'll say that Jesus, since he only wants to save a few of them, called the elect then he's only going to save the elect. He only died for the elect. Because God's will is, is unsurmountable and his will is never defied. And, and so he couldn't have died for everybody because then his salvation wasn't effective for a large mass of people that didn't get saved. 
So they make up this theology that Jesus only died for the elect. Let's find out that's scriptural. Mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, but I'm going to give you five. I could give you a lot more, but I don't have time. So let's establish it with five scriptures, that he died for everybody, not just a few. Look at John 3.16, the first verse you ever learned in children's church. For God so loved the elect. I'm sorry, clueless translation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever out of the world believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 Timothy 2.6. 1 Timothy 2.6. It says, Who Jesus gave himself a ransom for how many? All. All. To be testified in due time. Well, that's all the elect, Pastor. Okay, let's move on to the next verse. 1 Timothy 4.10. 1 Timothy 4.10. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of how many men? All men. I did a deep entomological study in the, in the Greek on the word all. It means all. It says, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. What is that saying? That's saying that Jesus came to be the Savior of all the world, all of mankind, and especially for those that accept it. Because there's many that will die rejecting their Savior. He's the Savior of all men. He's the only one that's provided salvation for every man, woman, and child that's ever lived. But not everybody has received it. And it says, it says, He's the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Look in Hebrews 2.9. 2, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Everyone. Then finally, 1 John 2, 2. 1 John 2, 2. And he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation. That means the satisfaction for wrath. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. That's our Christian sins. And not for our Christians only, but for the whole world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so it says one had died for all, then all have died. What is that talking about? Well, Jesus Christ was our covenant representative. When two groups of people were trying to, wanted to make a covenant, they sent one representative to represent the whole tribe. And whatever that representative did is like the whole tribe did it. Well, when a covenant was made, again, God the Father said, so I'm going to make a covenant with mankind. And how am I going to do that? Well, I need a, God says, I need a representative. Jesus said, tag, I'm it. He said, I'm God, I'm fully God, I can represent you. He says, great, but there's a problem. Mankind needs a representative and no one's qualified to be able to lay hold of, uh, on my side, to lay hold, to make a covenant that I can, it's acceptable. And Jesus said, oh, I'll take care of that one too. I'll become a man. And he became a full man, and so he was fully God, fully man. So he laid hands on God, laid hands on humanity and brought them together. And whatever Jesus did is like we happened to us. Jesus, will you come up here? Give Jesus a hand. <laughs> Jeremy starts with J. Jesus, Jeremy. And he walks on water, according to Rachel. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, so Jesus Christ came, and he identified with us in humanity by being born as a man. 
But just being born as a man, he didn't fully identify with us until the cross. So we're going to talk about identification. What does identification mean? Identification, it's easy to remember. What's identification? Identification means to be made identical to. Identification, say identification. Is to be made identical to. So Jesus identified with mankind, first of all, becoming a man, full man. But then he wasn't fully identified with us because we were fallen man. We had sins and we had a sin nature. And, and so he was separate from sin, born of a virgin, had no sin of himself, did not have a sin nature. And so here we see Jesus on the cross. He freely accepts the identification to be made identical to us in our situation. So not only did Jesus bear every one of our sins on himself, it says later next week, he became sin. And the Father cut him off and said, and Jesus Christ cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became identical with us on the cross. And he did it without anybody making him to do it. On the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Not my will, but your will be done. He accepted it. God didn't make him do it. He accepted freely, and he became identical to you and died your death. Now, Jesus, you're dead and you're in the tomb. <clears throat> this verse starts out with the love of Christ. The cornerstone of God's love is choice. God did not force Jesus to do this. He chose to become identical to you on the cross. And he took all of you into himself and died to it. And so when he, had, when he died as your company representative, what happened to you guys? You all died. Look at verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should live any longer for themselves, not, should not live any longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So here's the problem is we think Jesus became identified with us. He chose to do it. No one made him do it. And he took on humanity. And there's some teaching going on in the body of Christ and around the grace movement. With every movement of God, on the fringe, there's false teaching. And around the fringe of the grace movement, there's called universalism. Which teaches, since Jesus died for all, which is true, they take it too far and just says, well, people are automatically saved, automatically reconciled to God, automatically all going to heaven whether they know about it or not. And that's error. And so we're going to see something in this verse. I want you to see something in verse 15. He died for all, say, he died for all. That those who live, say, those who live. He died for all. Those who live. He did not say he died for all and all who live. He said those who live. It says Jesus died for all but those who live. So not everyone who, who is alive are living. What does that mean? Because if you haven't accepted Jesus and been born again, you're spiritually dead. Raise your hand if you've accepted Jesus. You're those who live. Because guess what? There's a two-way street on this thing on identification. Salvation is a two-way street. God's side and your side. Jesus, come on back up, Jesus. We'll talk about it again. On the cross, he fully chose to identify with you, become identical, and he took on you and died. But then, praise God, he was raised from the dead. And he was raised to new life, quickened with new life, and now offers you the opportunity for you to become identified to him. 
but you have a free choice. He had a free choice. You have a free choice. The cornerstone of love is a free choice. And so now if you will become identified with him, how do you do that? By faith. That's why Romans 10, 9 and 10. Or 10, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess him that he is the Lord and that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. So by faith in his resurrection, you become identified with the resurrected Jesus and you become identical to him. You're born again and you have the same life of Jesus on the inside of you. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Give him a hand. Jesus comes to church. Hallelujah. So Jesus died for all mankind, but not all mankind are automatically made alive in Christ. And here this verse says, those who live should live no longer for themselves. This is speaking of believers. That as a believer, you have a choice to live for yourself or to live for your Savior. I recommend the second. Have you ever tried to live for yourself? And a lot of times we live for ourselves because we don't realize that God's will is much better than yours. God's plan is much better than your plan. Well, I'm afraid, Pastor. If I accept the Lord's will, I'll be miserable. Well, you already are. Living for yourself is miserable. There's no joy. There's no satisfaction. There's no peace. There's, no, there's none. But you've got to realize that God's plan for you is much better than your plan. How do you know that? Because he died for you. Anyone that died for you has nothing but good for you. And some in this room, you've been living your own plan, and God's been calling you out into his plan, and you've been afraid to do it. And so you're no longer to live for yourself. He purchased you. But he's not going to force you. He's not. He's not. But we're to live for him. Really, yes, we should live for him, but I think it's important that we live from him. Who died for them and rose again. See, Jesus died and he's not living for himself. You know what Jesus is doing? He's not up there parading in his victory. I'm God. Look what I did. No, he, what is he doing right now? He's in the high priest role, ever living to intercede for you. See, Jesus is not a shellfish. And so many Christians are shellfish. They're all clammed up in themselves, living for themselves, doing their own thing. This, this goes back to the whole paradigm, are you living for yourself or living for God? And that comes to everything. It, it, that, that paradigm will totally uh, flavor and shade everything in your life. I don't care what it is. It, it, it's a paradigm that, that affects everything. How about receiving healing? Oh, I just want to receive healing. Why? Because I'm in pain. It hurts. Plus, I can't go out and go bowling and laser tag. No, that's great. God doesn't want you to hurt. God would love for you to be able to bowl and do laser tag. But the reason for your healing is for his glory. Is to fulfill his purposes. But oftentimes our receiving is based on us, not Jesus. Thank you. Can you sit more over here? Okay. <clears throat> I promote you. Here. Verse 16. 
Verse 16, therefore, from now on, now that you're a believer, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. So we shouldn't be looking at people anymore just in the natural, especially believers. And who's the most important person that you don't regard anymore according to the flesh? Say, point at you. Starts with you. It's key that we understand we're not who we think we are. If you're born again, you're a brand new person on the inside. We're going to get to that verse. You're a brand new person on the inside, and you you can't you shouldn't regard yourself anymore according to who you used to be. Because if you don't love you, you can't love anyone else. We're to love others as we love. Well, if you don't love yourself, it's bad news for people around you. From there on, we we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. What's this verse saying? This verse is saying those that lived in that day, Paul himself had seen Jesus in the flesh. Remember Saul of Tarsus? He was in the highest ranks of the Pharisee denomination. He had said under Gamaliel, which is the greatest Hebrew scholar of the day, he went to Hebrew seminary, cemetery. And uh, he, as a, good, as a good Jew, he would have been there on the day of Passover, for the week of the Passover. He would have definitely seen what was happening to Jesus. So he saw Jesus. And those in the early church had saw him and known Jesus according to the flesh. The disciples saw Jesus. Did you ever raise your hand? Raise your hand if you ever said, I wish I was one of the disciples. To be honest, yeah, but you know what? You know one of the hindrances, the biggest hindrance of the disciples is G, was Jesus. How was how Jesus the biggest hindrance to the disciples? Because Jesus was in a physical body. And he slept, he ate, he got dirty, he smelled, he, 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 he did everything a man did. And you're like, God? Mm. God went to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm really struggling here. That's why they were the disciples. You have it much better as you can know them in the spirit. And not be hindered by, by a physical body. You know John, the one Jesus loved? Now John was the only one that wrote that. In his gospel, the one who Jesus, Jesus loved. That's John. John was the one laying his head on Jesus' breast at, at supper. It was so, so intimate. But let's look in Revelation 1 when he met him in his resurrection. When Jesus was raised from the dead and he saw him in his full glory. The one that was laying his head on Jesus' chest. Revelation 1, look at verse 17. When I, John, saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last. There's a balance in your Christian walk. There's a great intimacy you should have with the Father. Abba, Father. Abba means Papa. But there's some Christians that's all they understand is Papa, Daddy. But there's another aspect is he's God Almighty. And so you should have a healthy respect and intimacy, but a reverence and an awe towards God. 
Look at verse 17. Therefore. This is the fourth therefore in this chapter. Receiving Jesus Christ will cause many therefores in your life. Faith causes many therefores to take place in your life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I want The first word I want to really see after the word therefore is if. If anyone is in Christ. See, universalism, the ones of the fringe and the grace movement, they teach everyone is in Christ. Because Jesus took on all of humanity here and became identified with all of us. And they mistakenly take this now in resurrection. All of us are still in Christ and everybody's born again and given new life in Christ and reconciled to God automatically. And they make an error. You know, what, you, you know what universalism is? It's Calvinism on steroids. Calvinism, pure Calvinism, is God is sovereign to where he only sovereignly saves a few, makes them get saved, and the rest go to hell. But you know what universalism? It's Calvinism on steroids. It's God's still sovereign, but makes everybody get saved. Because God loves them. Well, the cornerstone of love is choice. And so Jesus come back. You're over here. You already died. You're over here. <laughs> so he's raised from the dead and now offers salvation as a gift. And you must choose him or not because if God forced you into salvation, that destroys love. And so you have a choice to accept him or reject what he's done for you. He offers it as a gift of salvation. Thank you. It's just visual to see how good looking you are. Rachel likes it. Look at Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 15. God offers salvation as a gift. He doesn't force salvation on anybody. Salvation is not issued to people. Look at Romans 5.15. And when I say the word gift, you'll count. When I say gift the first time, you'll say? And I, it's harder. Than the second. When I say gift the second time, you say? All right. You guys are sharp. Romans 5.15. But the free gift... Is not like the offense. It's not like the offense. For if one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. That's Adam. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received the gift, received the abundance, I'm sorry, I, that was my fault. Much more those who received, I got so excited, I, I went too early. Much more those who received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Gift, 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 five times. Five is the number for grace in the Bible. It's a gift. Gifts must be either received or rejected. If you force a gift on someone, it's no longer a gift. And so you have a choice. Will I believe upon Jesus and be identified with him, become identical to him, and get born again? That is why each person must confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. 
If you're in Christ Jesus, how do you get in Christ Jesus? You get born into Christ Jesus. Again, universal teaches everyone is now is in Christ, but look at the words, if anyone is in Christ, which means not everybody is. Because if, if everybody already is, then the word if is not needed. There are some in Christ, raise your hand if that's you, and there's some that's not in Christ. You have to be born again. Look at John 3.3. 3. It's in the red. John 3.3, 3, Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, it's hard to see the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. Cannot see the kingdom of God. You, has, you must be born again. And the only way you're born again is by believing on Jesus. That's how you're born in Christ, in his resurrection. Now, if you're in Christ, and we've established most of us in this room are, then you are a new creation. Tell someone next to you, you're a new critter. <laughs> you're a new critter? Matter of fact, a new creation, that means a brand of species that's never existed before. A brand of humanity that had never existed before Jesus raised from the dead. Matter of fact, there's only three categories of humanity in the Bible. 1 Corinthians tells us in chapter 9, I believe, Jesus, uh, Paul says, give no offense either to the Jew, to the Gentile, or to the church of God. Jew, Gentile, but then there was a third category made after Jesus rose again from the dead, and that's called the new creation. Raise your hand if you're part of that new one. Praise God, the new creation can have bacon. I had a BLT last night. And in this new creation, what part of you is this new creation? Your spirit man. Your spirit man. And in your spirit, you've never sinned. You know, every time you've sinned, you've sinned with your, your, uh, your soul and your body. But you've never sinned in your spirit. Matter of fact, every time you've sinned, your spirit said, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, you did it. Oh. You know, sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's your spirit saying you violated your nature of faith and love. You stepped out of faith, stepped out of love. That's not my nature. You're a brand new. You're pure as the 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 purest snow. No tire tracks in it. Pure white virgin. Old things have passed away. What things have passed away? When you got born again, did you get a new body? Did you get a new brain? New personality? All your quirks went away? We're still working on our quirks. But what part, what, what part of all of us got? Our spirit. All the old things of our spirit passed away. First of all, our old man passed away. Your old man was crucified with Christ. And that's not your dad. That's who you used to be. Your old person used to be. Was crucified with Christ. 
and it's dead. And you've been born again, a brand new creation. But you're going to have to see it. Because look at the next word, behold. Behold. All things have been made new. How can we behold what's true in our spirit, man? Because our spirit, we can't detect with our five senses. We can't see it, smell it, touch it. I don't know about tasting my spirit, but can't do that. So how are we going to see what we are in our spirit? Well, we're going to see through the looking glass of the mirror of the word. And we're really not going to try to see who our spirit is. We look at Jesus. As Jesus is, so are we when we get to heaven. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Right now. Right now. Okay. All right. Right now. In your spirit, you're just like Jesus. You just have to get a glimpse of Jesus. How is he? Is he healed? Is he prosperous? Does he reign and rule? Then why are you? <laughs> you don't have a money problem. You have a revelation problem. Your father created heaven with gold. Your older brother's a Jew. You're loaded. Behold. We must behold through the word what manner of man we are. Look in James chapter 1, look at verse 23. I saw something in this verse I've never seen before. Read it hundreds and hundreds of times. Tell someone there might be something you can see new. Maybe there's something new. Look at James 1.23 about hearing the word. If anyone is a hearer, say hearer. Who's a hearer? One who hears. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, I'm going to show you, give you an example. Uh, I'm going to tell you what's that, what's that like. Anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man observing. Here, James is likening biblical hearing to observing. Because what you hear, you should be seeing it. When I say dog, are you, looking, are you, here, are you seeing D-O-G in your mind? No, you're seeing a dog. So when you hear the word, you should be having an inner, inner picture on the inside. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes his way and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. What kind of man he was. Look at verse 25. But he who looks, we're talking about a hearer. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, that's the finished work of Jesus, Jesus and his finished work, and is not a forgetful hearer. You could have put observer. But a doer of the work, well, what work is he to do? The Ten Commandments? No, the work of hearing and observing. Hearing and observing. 
He will, this one will be blessed in what he does. You need to see who you are. And if you just spend a little bit of time in the word looking at Jesus, then you'll forget what manner of man you are. But the more you meditate in the word and the more you see Jesus and exactly how he's like and you stay in it and you stay in it, then you'll you walk around realizing who you are. Tell someone you may not be who you think you are. Verse 18. Now all things are of God. There's our Calvinist friends step up and say, See, this is my text. All things are of God. Cancer, sickness, tornadoes, hurricanes, all for your good. No, read it in context. What things are of God? Well, what did he talk about? All things passed away. All things have become new. Every new thing in your born-again spirit is of God. Tell someone you're of God. You're in his spitting image. Jesus is in the spitting image of his father. That's why he spit on people. <laughs> I think. And you're in the spitting image of Jesus. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at the word reconciled. It means to bring back into favor, to change, to exchange, to bring back into favor. God's wrath against man has been appeased in Christ Jesus. All that separated God the Father from man has been removed. Before Jesus, what separated mankind from God? Sin. Sin. It was a sin issue. But when Jesus came, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus came, he, did, of his own free will, he identified, became identical to humanity. He received all of the sins of humanity and bore it in, on his own body. But then he became sin and paid for that sin through his shed blood. The blood of God was shed and totally paid for it in full. And therefore, Jesus, you can go sit down. The sin issue was dealt with. What separated God from man, the barrier of sin was removed, but there was another barrier created. Because Universal says, well, the barrier of sin has been removed, so then everybody automatically is saved. Well, uh, hold on a second. Yes, the sin barrier was moved, but then a new barrier was created between God and man. What is the new barrier between God and man? It's not sin. It's Jesus. So the question you're talking to a sinner is not what are you going to do with your sin. It's what are you going to do with Jesus. Jesus removed sin, then he stood in the way, and he became the door of salvation. Last time I checked is you have to walk through a door or not walk through a door. But universalism teaches you that God takes you by the nap of your neck and by your belt buckle and throws you through the door. Look at John 10.9. John 10.9. God throws no one through the door. John 10.9. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
you must accept Jesus and be identified with him. God has done everything on his side to be reconciled to mankind. Everything that offended him, everything that was opposed, everything that caused a separation, he dealt with it, bridged it, took it, removed it out of the way. And so he's been reconciled. God is not angry with you. He's not even in a bad mood. He's been reconciled, but let me say something to you. Reconciliation takes two parties. You can't have a reconciliation of two parties by one being reconciled. Both have to accept reconciliation. And so universalism is basically saying God has provided reconciliation and man has been reconciled and it has nothing to do with you. God did both your parts. It's impossible. And so what universalism does is it, it takes away your ministry. How's that? Well, look at the verse. We're almost done. We're actually landed. We're taxing. It says, who has reconciled to himself, uh, us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation? What's the ministry of reconciliation? That's the message to go tell people that reconciliation has been made, it's been provided, now you need to accept it. Matter of fact, next week we're going to talk, well, maybe next week, but when we come back and we finish this up, next week it says that God was in, is in Christ through us, through us, with the ministry through us, imploring and pleading with people, be reconciled to God. It takes two parts. And he's given you the ministry of reconciliation because universalism, it takes it and say it's all been done, there's no need, so let's just sit, sit around. We can go to lunch, let's just break up and go. Now you've been given the great commission, not the great suggestion or the great completion. We are to go out and we're to share the gospel and the good news that Jesus has provided salvation for you. And God's not mad at you. Your sin has been dealt with. And you can, and you can become identified with Jesus by just simply accepting him as Lord and Savior. You have, tell someone you have a ministry. I'm going to end with this verse. You have to receive. Every person has to receive reconciliation. Look at Romans 5.11. Romans 5.11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Received. So my question to you today, have you received reconciliation? Have you walked through that door of salvation? If you've not, it's a decision you have to make. He's dealt with your sin. He's not angry with you. The question is not what are you going to do about your sin, but what are you going to do about Jesus today? Will you walk through that door? Because there's beautiful things on the other side of that door. There's life. There's forgiveness. There's wholeness. There's a relationship with God. And after we close, I want you to come up here and we'll have prayer ministers up here. If you, if you haven't accepted Jesus, walk through that door today. No one's born a Christian. No one's born as a Christian. <laughs> You have to be born again a Christian. Bow your heads. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that 
you, you chose to, to identify with humanity and become identical to humanity on the cross. And through your love, you've provided reconciliation, but it has to be received on the other side. We, each person has to make this decision, will I be identified with Jesus? And most in this room has, so the question today is, are we living our life for ourselves or for you? You don't have to live for God. You get to live for God. If you'll live for God, your life will be the most exciting life you could possibly live. Filled with adventure and fullness and fulfillment. Some of you are not happy in this room. You're miserable. Because you're not living your life for Him. You're living it for you. There's no condemnation. You're going to heaven. He loves you. But you're never going to be happy living for you. If you say today, Pastor, I, I, I may not fully know what it is that God's called me to, but I, it starts with a decision. Because if you hadn't made that decision to do that, then there's no pass go. There's no guiding. You have to be moving in that direction to be guided. And he won't violate you. We talked about free will. He won't violate and make you live for him. It's a beautiful life. Beautiful will. And if you say, you, may, you haven't made that decision. Today, I'm, not gonna, I'm choosing not to live for myself. But everything you've done for me, there's a therefore. And I'm going to give my life for your service, for your ministry. Whatever that means, I say yes, Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand. Matter of fact, that's you, stand up. Father, I thank you for those that are standing that are saying yes. No longer am I going to live for me. But I'm going to live my life as a gift back to God. Jesus, you were a gift to us, but we're a gift back to God. And Lord, we're saying use us however, wherever. And I thank you for the will of God. And Lord, I thank you for clarity. I thank you for even this week, you're going to start showing them your will in a clearer way than they've ever had. They're living sacrifices to you. And I thank you for satisfying them and bringing joy and peace in their life in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God. So I just um, had a picture of a cocoon, like, um, you know, where a butterfly comes from. And, of course, there's a struggle. I don't understand all of that, but there's a struggle. Um, but I know there's a natural process that God created that has to happen. And if, if I'm, I've read or heard that you, if somebody comes in and tries to make that butterfly come out, it literally damages uh, that butterfly. And so I'm just hearing the Lord say, trust his process. Trust his process. He's doing something, and we need to rely, and we need to trust. It may be uncomfortable. We may not get it. We may not understand it all. But if we will trust him He's got something beautiful for us.